you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. Um, I like it because it brings together family and God and Thanksgiving. Um, many of our holidays have become kind of commercialized. For the most part, if you set aside Black Friday, the Thanksgiving season has uh, not been so commercialized. And uh, it's just something wonderful to see families coming together and us having an opportunity just to remember how blessed we are. Someone once said, our favorite attitude should be Gratitude. I like that. Our favorite attitude should be gratitude. And I agree. Yet we live in an age where pessimism and cynicism and animosity seem to to dominate. Negative attitudes and the entitlement mindset of our culture uh, seem to have robbed all of us of great joy. Very few people that I meet seem to be truly satisfied with their lives. Most struggle hard to get what they want and then complain because whatever they do get never seems to be enough. I read somewhere it's not happiness that brings us gratitude. It's gratitude that brings us happiness. And all of this begs the question... How much is enough? How do you know when you have enough to be joyous, to be happy, to be at peace? How do you know when you have enough? By the standards of the world, you would think that we would be, as Americans, the happiest people on the earth. Did you know that according to the Credit Suisse Research Institute's 2018 Global Wealth Report, that's a mouthful, but according to this report put out by the people at Credit Suisse, when it comes to wealth, more than 19 million Americans currently qualify as members of the top 1% in the world, and more than 102 million Americans qualify as members of the top 10% worldwide when it comes to wealth. So there are 109 million of us in this nation that are considered to be that 10% of the most wealthy people in the world, 109 million. And then, as I said, 102 million rather, and then 19 million of us that would qualify to be in the very top 1%. Let me put it another way. America has only 4.2% of the world's population. It seems like our country is full of people. But when you compare us with the world, we're just over 4% of the world's population. And yet we produce 24%, almost a quarter of the world's wealth. We are an amazingly 
uh, blessed country when it comes to wealth. And if money could buy happiness, we ought to be running to the church house every day just to give thanks to God. But according to the Bible, reading from the New uh, uh, Living Bible, um, New Living Translation actually, if Ecclesiastes chapter 5.10, listen to this passage of Scripture. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Those who love money will never have enough. So how much is enough? Well, the answer is that's not the right question. That's the wrong question, how much is enough. Uh, the right question is, who is enough? And the answer to that question is Jesus. Jesus is enough. It, it is in Jesus that we find all that peace, all that hope, that joy, that fulfillment, all the life that we are seeking. We find it in Him. Jesus is enough. And when Jesus enters your life, when he takes up residence in your heart, then thanksgiving becomes a way of life. Not just a, a holiday that falls on the fourth Thursday in the month of no, November. Thanksgiving becomes a way of life. And every day we are thankful. And every day we are telling God that we are thankful and every day we are rejoicing in who He is and all that He's done in our lives. Now look with me at Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. Not a new text for me. I have preached from this passage a number of times since becoming your pastor. I never tire of reading this wonderful story. And I believe this ought to be the official Bible text of Thanksgiving. You know, we... we come to the Christmas season and, of course, we read about how uh, the, the shepherds uh, heard from the angels and they ran to Bethlehem to see, to see the king, to see Jesus. We read about the wise men who, who came as well. And we think of those passages as, uh, as Christmas passages. And I think of this passage as my Thanksgiving passage. And I know that you could... Say, well, there are other passages that are better like Psalm 100. And, and you, you have a good argument there. But for me, this is my passage when it comes to thanksgiving. While Jesus, the Bible says, while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men, ten men that were... Uh, men who suffered under leprosy, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They had to stand at a distance, right? If you had leprosy in those days, uh, you know, there was concern about its contagious nature and, and you were not allowed to come near anyone who was healthy and you had to keep your distance and it was your responsibility to shout out to anyone who might be approaching you Unclean, unclean, I am unclean. And that way the person approaching you would know to pass 
with some distance so they did not come in contact with you because you were afflicted with leprosy. And and the lepers uh, are in a group because the only ones that will associate with them are other lepers. And so you've got ten of these guys that have leprosy and when they see Jesus, they raise their voices and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And undoubtedly, before they said that, they did what the Jewish law required, that they would shout, unclean, unclean. The Bible says when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. When I read that story, I always find myself thinking, Oh Lord, let me be thankful. Let me be like the one and and not like the other nine. May I be one, Lord, who is truly thankful and not ungrateful. May I never take your blessings for granted. Furthermore, may I always be a good steward of all your wonderful gifts. I feel that the nine received the healing they desperately desired, but they missed out on the Savior they desperately needed. Those nine got their healing, but somehow in the midst of their celebration over their healing, they missed out on Jesus. It was the one who returned to give thanks to Christ that received not only what he wanted, but also what he needed. This one leper received a whole basket of blessings from Jesus that day. Uh, First, he was healed of a dreaded disease. I mean, there's not much uh, of a disease in the scripture that that arises to the the place of of, uh, fear uh, that leprosy uh, does. I guess today, the disease that would be our leprosy would be cancer. You know, the idea that there is something inside you that is destroying you, almost as if this disease has has a plan, has a a will, has a desire to be destructive. And, And that's one of the things that makes cancer such a difficult disease Uh, for us to deal with because I think we sometimes personify the cancer. And so here is a man who is healed of a dreaded disease, a disease that many saw as incurable. 
like the other nine, he won acceptance back into society. No longer would he be ostracized. No longer would he be mandated to to shout to people who approached him, unclean, 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 I'm unclean. Now when people approached them, he could greet them and say, good morning, it's good to see you. He also received an opportunity to work, to, to make a good living, perhaps even to start a family. Who wanted a leper to be a part of their business? But now he wasn't a leper, and now he could go and he could get a job, he could start a business, he could make a good living. What woman would want to go and marry a man afflicted with leprosy? Now perhaps he could find a wife and start a family and have children. Furthermore, I believe that when he fell at the feet of Jesus, something else happened. He was healed spiritually. When he fell at the feet of Jesus, he was forgiven and cleansed and saved and and blessed with eternal life. Let me show you something. Look back at verse 14. Verse 14. And as they were going, they were cleansed. The word for cleansed, ekatharisthasin, that's a long mouthful, isn't it? Is derived from a smaller Greek word, katharos. And this is an important word for us uh, as Americans and speakers of English. A katharos, as the word used in this text, means to cleanse, to purge, to purify. That Greek word, that Greek root word, katharos, gives us our English word catharsis. And you know, when a person is counseling someone else and and there's this, this uh, need to get rid of all of that inside that is, that's destroying that person. They are encouraged to, to express that. And what happens is there's a catharsis. There's a releasing of all of that poison inside. So all ten were cleansed of leprosy. Their skin was cleansed. The disease was gone. And as the ten were making their way to the priest so that they might officially be declared disease-free because they needed to do that. Here they were lepers, and if they were to be readmitted into society, they had to pass an inspection by the priest, and the priest would declare that they were free to go back into society. And so as they're going to the priest, as Jesus told them to do, they begin seeing things and probably feeling things happening in their body. Lesions on their skin. Those lesions were disappearing, vanishing before their eyes. I'm surprised they didn't stumble as they were looking at their hands and at their feet and at their arms and just marveling at what was happening. You know, as I've grown older... I won't show you my arms right now, but they don't look so good. Any of you look at your arms and try to remember what those arms looked like when you were 12 years old? Something's happened to my arms. Sometimes I look at my face and say, something's happened to the face too. But as these people are heading to the priest, 
they are seeing that, that, that the lesions are disappearing, that the fingers that, that had been lost to the disease, those fingers were being restored. Their strength was returning to their body. They were no longer dragging themselves around, but there was a bounce in their step and energy in their body and their flesh was becoming clean and, and clear and new. Remember the Bible says of Naaman when he was cleansed of leprosy that his, fa- that his skin became a- a- as the skin of a-, a new baby. And don't babies have the skin thing down, don't they? Their skin is so perfect, so, so clean, so clear, so pure. And you can just imagine with every step their excitement is growing and suddenly one of them stops and turns around and he thinks to himself, wait, this is the most wonderful thing. I must go back and give glory to God. I must go back and I must tell Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's what he did. And we don't know if he said that aloud or if that was something that was processed in his heart. We don't know if he said, hey guys, we're, we're healed. Let, let's go back and thank Jesus. We don't know. Maybe he just saw himself healed and decided without saying a word to the other nine, I'm going to go back and I'm going to thank Jesus. And that's what he did. And that's what he did. The Bible says, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And as you know, Samaritans didn't have a very good reputation among the Jews. They were considered to be half-breeds because as a, the Samaritans had, had largely remained in the land during the the, the uh, time that the Jews were taken into captivity to Babylon, and many of them had remained there in the northern part of Israel, and they had intermarried with pagans. And they were considered half-breeds, half-Jews, doctrinally compromised, unclean to begin with, not someone you'd want to be seen in public with. Jews often went out of their way just to avoid them. You'll remember that sometimes, you know, you're pictured in the, in the scripture is Jews going around Samaria. So they don't have to go through it. Just, it's just not their part of the country. And so a leprous Samaritan, a Samaritan afflicted with leprosy, was about as low on the social ladder as one could get. That was the worst you could be. Bad enough to be a leper, but to be a Samaritan leper, my goodness. Couldn't get any worse than that. And yet this Samaritan, this cleansed leper came running back to Jesus to give thanks. Now notice what Jesus said to this Samaritan as the Samaritan fell on his face before the Lord. He looks at the man and he says, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. 
Notice that phrase, made you well. Your faith has made you well. Those words, made you well, could also be translated depending on how you want to do it. Some actually, I think some, some Bible translations do this. It could be translated, saved you. You see, the Greek word there is not the same word used earlier to describe the cleansing of the ten. That word was a root of katharos, or came from the root katharos. And that word means to cleanse. That's the catharsis word. The word used here is sesokin, a derivative of the root sozo in Greek, which means to save, to rescue, to heal. And this is significant. Ten were cleansed, but one, only one, returned to give thanks to Jesus and glory to God. And in the process, he was both cleansed and sozoed. Cleansed and saved. They're two completely different words. He, on one hand, was experiencing that catharsis of having all of that leprosy removed from his body, but he was also experiencing sozo. He was saved. I believe this Samaritan was cleansed both of his leprosy and his sin. He was saved from his sin. Now, many years ago, Vivian and I lived in Louisiana. I first went there as an engineer and I served um, a company on the Mississippi River and I I worked there in Louisiana for about three years. And then I, I felt the call of God to go to seminary. So we moved down to New Orleans and we were there for about three years while I was working on my Master of Divinity. And then the first church that called us was a church just over the Louisiana-Mississippi border by about 10 miles, very, very close, about an hour's drive from Baton Rouge, maybe a little closer than that. And there's a little community called Ducktown. And a lot of the people who lived in that town were living there because it was inexpensive to live up there. Many of them worked at the chemical plants and the refineries along the river. We lived there in Louisiana, and the people in that area speak a special kind of French. Now, there's arguments about what to call it, but for just the sake of our discussion this morning... Let's call it Louisiana Creole French. And to this day, there are probably between 10 and 20,000 people who can still speak that language. And you'll find them inside a triangle formed by Baton Rouge to the north and New Orleans to the south and Lafayette uh, to the east. That triangle, which includes the Chafalaya Basin and the Mississippi River, and just a wonderful part of our nation, in that little area you'll find little towns like Bowbridge. Some good friends of ours invited us to go down to Bowbridge and, and meet her parents. She was, uh, she was, a, 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 she was a, a Cajun. She, she grew up there in that, in that country. And so we went down there and we were amazed. And I can remember her saying, Daddy taught French to them. And he had this beautiful dialect, this amazing little language that's tucked away there inside that little triangle. And one of the words of that language 
is a word perhaps you've heard, perhaps you've even used. It's a word called lanyap. And lanyap simply means something extra. You say a customer goes into a bakery and he orders and pays for a dozen donuts. If he does that down in New Orleans, there's a, a, a very good chance when he buys his dozen donuts and they put them in a box and he takes them back home to his family, when he opens the box, he'll find there's not a dozen in the box. Instead, there's 13. He paid for 12, but the extra one, the 13th donut, is lanyap. It's something extra. It's something undeserved. It's an act of grace. The baker doesn't have to put it in there. But the baker puts it in there just because he loves the people and he wants to bless them. When the tenth leper fell at the feet of Jesus and gave glory to God, he received some lanyap from the Savior. He received something extra. Yes, he had been cleansed of leprosy and his skin was spotless. But as he fell at the feet of Jesus, he received salvation of his soul. You see, salvation is a gift, and that's why two different words are used to describe the cleansing the ten receive and the salvation that the one received. You know, we don't earn salvation. We don't pay for it. We don't deserve it. But we find salvation as a free gift, if you will, as lanyap when we take our place at the feet of Jesus The Bible is amazing in how many times it speaks of this idea of gift. Let me just read a few of them real quickly. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish or shall not perish but have eternal life. What does it say? For God so loved the world He gave, gave a gift. Romans 3.23 through 24, most of the time we don't read 24, we ought to. Romans 3.23 is the verse all of us have memorized, for uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the next verse says, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 reminds us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that is faith in Christ Jesus, that not of yourselves, it is what? It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This morning I began by telling you that our nation is filled with people who struggle hard to get what they want and then complain because whatever they do get never seems to be enough. And so as a result, we are a nation of pessimism and cynicism and animosity and we see it everywhere. Very few seem to be genuinely happy, seem to be satisfied or truly thankful. We have everything that money can buy, but so many seem to be miserable and depressed and hopeless. Now turn with me, I'll give you just a few moments, turn to Romans chapter 10. This is our final verse and we'll wrap up this morning. Romans chapter 10, 
Look down to verse number 9. Now, what kind of society do we live in? We live in a society that is pessimistic and cynical and, and filled with animosity, one that is not truly happy or, or satisfied or even thankful that we are instead miserable and depressed and hopeless in general because we've tried to get happy by having stuff and we just can't get enough stuff to make us happy. Because we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for something to make us happy rather than someone to make us happy. So reading from Romans chapter 10 verse 9, very familiar passage of Scripture. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. But listen very carefully to what follows. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who will call upon Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even that Samaritan leper, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Some translations read, will not be ashamed. People in this world are looking for something to make them happy. But as I said, it's the wrong search. Happiness and fulfillment aren't found in something. They're found in someone. They're found in Jesus. Our favorite attitude this year should be gratitude. And it will be gratitude when we discover that Jesus is enough. Happiness doesn't rest in what you got. Doesn't rest in how much you've accomplished. Doesn't rest in what other people say about you. Happiness rests in knowing Jesus Christ. Many years down the road, we will leave this world and we will find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And as we are there at the feet of Jesus, we may find some people nearby that we recognize. Maybe like this tenth leper who returned and found himself at the feet of Jesus. Or maybe like Mary, who was criticized by her sister for not helping in the kitchen when she was at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are concerned about so many things. But Mary has chosen the best part. What does it take to be happy? What does it take to be thankful? It takes the right perspective. And if you want to find the place to be, to see how happy and thankful you should be, find a place at the feet of Jesus. 
the whole world looks different at the feet of Jesus. As your family gathers around the Thanksgiving table this Thanksgiving, oh, I pray that you have your table squarely placed at the feet of Jesus. For there you will find, as the leper found, Jesus is enough. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. As we gather now in just a few moments to close out this time of worship with a celebration of your uh, Lord's Supper, I pray that we'll remember, Lord, that you, you are enough. You are all that we need. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the salvation. Thank you for the ways that you've blessed us in material ways. Thank you for the relationships that you've brought into our lives. Thank you for our families, our, our children, our grandchildren. Uh, Lord, just all the things that you have poured out from the gates of heaven. Lord, you have literally filled our cup till it overflows. But Lord, thank you above all of these things that there is a place for us at the feet of Jesus. And there, Lord, we can enjoy the wonderful blessing of salvation. Lord, if there's one here today who does not know what that's like, I pray today would be the day that they would give their heart and life to Christ. Just as this leper did so many years ago when he came and fell at the feet of Jesus. May we fall at the feet of Jesus this day and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I know that I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry. Oh, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me and make me new? Would you make it so that I can have a place at your feet that I might worship you and give thanks to you? forever and ever. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.